If you could turn, please, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, and we want to read from verse 17. Then the high priests and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand into temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. Can you echo the words just with me? New life? New life. This is what we're seeing in the book of Acts it speaks about this new life that the people received after the death, the burial, the resurrection, and again, Jesus going into heaven. And people encountered Jesus, and Luke, who's written the book of Acts, tells us that these people have found something new. I don't know about you, that when you find something new, there is a real excitement within our hearts. It's hard to hide. I still remember something like eight and a half years ago when Jenny, myself, and Chris came to Switzerland. It was new. All of the new things that we experienced here, for the most part, were very, very exciting. And... Um, the people that we met here, that, uh, there was just such an excitement within our hearts when we encountered the new. And so we see here that Luke writes about the angel um, who had released the apostles from the jail that they were in. And he tells them not to flee, not to run, not to go and hide, but to go out into the public spaces and to tell the people about this new life. And so I just want you to register those two words, new life, within your hearts. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if any man or any woman is in Christ, they have, became, they have become a new creation. All the old things have passed away. Behold. You have become new. We celebrated a new life just about two or three Sundays ago when a young lady experienced this new life. And um, it was through her experience here on Wednesdays with the ladies. Then she and her husband started coming to lift. And she gave her life to Jesus and she experienced this new life. And then just about two, three weeks ago, she asked if she could be baptized in water to carry through with this new life and to show it outwardly. It's almost like the angel said to these people, you know, I don't want you to hide your new life. I want you to talk about it. And one of the ways we talk about this new life is what a number of you have done is to show it publicly. And she in the river just out here in the whole Groton, there were about, what, 15 of us. We went out there. And she got baptized, and honestly, as she came out of the water, her face was just radiating 
not with a natural glory or a natural smile, but it was almost for me, it was like a supernatural glory that shone from her. It is just such a beautiful thing. And so when we read the scripture, pause at certain places and just find out what it actually means. Just a wonderful, wonderful story about talking about this new life. Let's read further. At daybreak, verse 21, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent them to the jail. Sent the apostles, sorry, I'm reading this poorly, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing inside the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with the officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Let's just stop here at verse 28. You may ask the question, we're reading here, who is the Sanhedrin? Who are the Sadducees? And that's a really, really good question to ask. The Sadducees, which was made up of the Sanhedrin, were the political arm of Rome in Jerusalem. The Pharisees were the religious arm in Jerusalem. And those two groups kind of controlled what happened within the city. And it's very interesting to understand that the Sadducees did not believe in the afterlife. And they also didn't believe in the miraculous. And so you can understand the context of the scripture here. Whereas the Pharisees did believe in the resurrection. And so Jesus was so clever when he was on earth, he always pitched those two groups against each other. And so they knew that they couldn't stand against Jesus because then they were going to argue against each other. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection and something of the miraculous, whereas the Sadducees didn't. And we see the same thing happening here, and we'll read about Gamaliel in this passage who was kind of like um, the most respected teacher of the Pharisees. He was very liberal, and so he had to come in and he had to speak on behalf of all three groups, including the apostles. And he was a compromising man, but in this instance, the compromise worked for the church, but it didn't work for him personally. And so I want you to note those things as we just read a little bit further how Luke, through the Holy Spirit, emphasizes the miraculous. Why the miraculous? Because God wanted to get through to the Sadducees. He emphasizes and he says, this Jesus, as we all read, is both prince of life and Messiah. So Luke says this. So for the Sadducees, 
this was a truth right into their faces. But for the Pharisees, it was like, well, at least in our teachings, we believe that this could happen, but they never believed that Jesus was that. And yet they believed it. And so we see that Luke is just so clever as he speaks to them. And so verse 29 says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, other translations would say Messiah, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of their sins. We, Luke says, on behalf of the apostles here as he writes, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to them who obey him. And so the story goes on, and I would like to just stop here. As we have seen over the last number of weeks, that the theme that we're looking at here is that the best is yet to come. And again, every time when we mention the theme, we encounter persecution, we encounter difficulty, we see that God comes and judges his people. And so we see that even when we speak about that the best is yet to come, it is never an easy sailing life. And can you attest to that? And if you think when you become a Christian that everything is going to become plain sailing, it's going to be easy, well, the scripture doesn't teach that at all. And we see here with this very young church that's being formed, there was great excitement. Over 5,000 people at some instances got saved at one time. They were being discipled. God was doing amazing things within their lives. But woven in between, the persecutions would come, the difficulties would come, the doubts would come, and yet continuously the scripture says that God asked these men and women to stand up for the wonderful truth, and this is the truth, that Jesus is not dead. Jesus indeed is alive. And the life that he came to give us is real and it lives within us. And that's why Luke says here that, they, that the angel of God said to them, speak about this new life. And so this morning, I just want us just to look at this truth. A faith worth living for. And I want to speak about a faith worth living for. And I remember as a small young boy growing up within a Christian home where my mom was a Christian, my dad wasn't, and she started to teach us something about a faith that we knew nothing about, a faith that brought her through many trials within her life and how she passed on this type of faith to my sister and I. And both of us, my sister and I, are late within our 50s. And when I look back, I'm so thankful that my mom taught us about this faith. As Luke puts it, this new life in God. And it's actually one of those topics that's so easy to talk about. 
because it's something that we are experiencing. And it's something that these apostles, disciples, and the people are experiencing to such a degree that it was so fresh, it was so exciting. And even though the angel said to them, we don't want you to run away, we don't want you to go and hide, we want you to go out into the courts and tell people about this new life. My friends, I don't think it was a hard thing for those guys to do because they were experiencing this new life in God. And I want us to explore what it means to have a faith that is worth living for. A faith that calls us to make decisions that sometimes is hard, but it's actually, at the end of the day, so rewarding. You see, a faith worth living for is a faith that comes from God and not from man. It is supernatural in nature. And this is the exciting truth. The type of faith that has grabbed a hold of our lives, this new life that we are living, is something that God has brought to us in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what grace is. Grace is when God comes to us and he extends to us a gift and gives us a gift that is life transforming, a gift that we cannot repay in any fashion or way. Grace is God coming to us, God coming in the form of a little baby onto this earth, living for 33 years, dying on the cross, taking our sins upon himself and being judged for it so that you and I don't need to be judged for our sins. Taking our guilt upon himself so we can be free from our guilt. There's no condemnation for those who live in Christ. Taking our shame upon ourselves, the sins that we commit. It's, it's all put on Jesus. And the sins we commit today, the reason why we can repent is because we could look back at what Jesus had done for us and we can actually say, he already paid the price for it. So it's actually easy to repent of our sins, to confess our sins, to say, sorry Lord for what I've done because he already had borne that. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to go to confession for it. We just have to go to Jesus for it. That is what grace is. It's, it's God coming to us. That wonderful song, he came from heaven to earth to show the way. That is what grace is. A faith worth living for is a faith that comes from God, not from man. The moment what you do becomes more important in the context of your salvation than what God has actually done. That's when we move away from this new life that God has given to us. I remember 
months, about two or three years ago, we had just been a part of a funeral that both Jen and I did together for a lady that we didn't know well, didn't know the husband. And afterwards, they invited the people there for some drinks afterwards. And I remember sitting with a gentleman uh, from Denmark, and they had moved to Unteregeri, and um, he was well within his mid-70s, but he was a man well-read. We just sat down there, and we just started talking, and he asked me about me. He said, why did you guys come to Switzerland? And we said, well, it wasn't our desire to come to Switzerland. Uh, we didn't want to go, but God stepped into our lives, and he motivated us, called us to come here. And I said to him, it would have been an act of disobedience on our part if we didn't come. And he said to me, at the age of 50, you're changing countries. I said, yes. I said, because God called us. And we started talking about a faith that is God-motivated, not man-motivated. And he started to tell me he's reading all about the religions of the earth and the wonderful religions. And you know, he was a philosopher. And so we sat and we talked. And he asked me about all of the different religions and where Christianity fitted into it. And it was such a great conversation because this man was so well read. And in a very respectful way, I was able to just be honest with him. And I said, all of the other religions that you've mentioned there is man's quest to look for God. And I said to him, I never looked for God. God came looking for me, and God found me. And I said to him, that is why I can leave my native country, move to Switzerland, and the act of obedience isn't a heavy thing for me. It is a joyous adventure because it is the God who found me who called me to this place. And I said, my faith is not based on me, not based on how I could satisfy him by doing so many different works. I said, all other religions that you've read about is this man has to take so many steps up physically, bow down, and then mutilate his own body and sacrifice himself to find God. I said, I don't have to do that. As a matter of fact, my God took steps down to earth. And he actually, and I use those words advisedly, mutilated his own flesh on a cruel cross and died for me. So that I don't have to do that. He did it for me because he loved me so much. And we talked about that. And I said to him, I don't criticize other religions. But I just want to tell you about my faith. This faith that is worth living for. You know, and he just sat there. He said, you know what? I must read up a little bit more about your faith. I said, you must do it. We never met again, and I wish I can. But the gospel was given to him. The gospel is so beautiful because it originated with God, not with man. And it's supernatural in nature. I said to him, God has transformed my life and changed my life. 
When I gave my life to him, it was a miracle because it came from God. I said, the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. What does that mean? It's a miraculous life. By faith in the Son of God. My friends, the moment when your faith just becomes natural, that's when human effort is more involved than God actually involved in your life. And maybe that's a good place just to say, yes, Pat. I find this Christian walk so hard when it's more me than God. It's by faith in the Son of God. A faith worth living for comes from God. It originates from God. It is supernatural. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than man. This is the context that this scripture was written in. They said, we've got to proclaim the gospel. And if anyone tells me to be quiet about the gospel, that is when we obey God rather than man. Amen? Do you see the context? We so often quote this verse out of context. This is the context. We gladly speak about this God who came to man to reveal his incredible love for us. Acts chapter 5 verses 38 to 39 says, Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. This is Gamaliel speaking. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> this faith that comes from God is truly ours. And we can speak about it with such respect, with such dignity within this wonderful place that we live in. Secondly, a faith worth living for is a faith that can be trusted. That means it can be believed, it can be understood, and it can be explained. Acts chapter 5, verses 20 to 26 says this. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. At daybreak they entered the temple courts, as they have been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priests and the associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. They went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came. Look. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At this, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared what the people would do to them. 
faith worth living for is a faith that can be trusted. You can trust this faith that comes from God because he's got his truth securely in place. I think there are times when we try and defend God so much where God would just say, if you stop trying to defend me and just to speak about me, I can do my work. And sometimes it's so easy just to speak about God and he comes and he breaks into the lives of people. But you'll find here, when you read this passage of Scripture, you'll see that these apostles, as they started speaking, these men started speaking, and, and they spoke about Jesus. That was their message. In this passage, you'll see that they firstly started speaking about God, who is the maker of heaven and earth, and who is sovereign over all. And it says that he is both Lord and he is, in, he is Messiah in Acts chapter 2. So that was their message. He is both Lord and he is Messiah. Lord who? Why? Because he is sovereign, this passage of Scripture says. He's absolutely sovereign. And he reveals himself to man. He is Lord. And of course, the Pharisees and Sadducees, particularly the Sadducees, don't like that. And then it says here, he is not only um, Lord, or he is not only sovereign, but he is also Prince and Savior. As I said earlier, that means he is the one who is Lord over all, and he is Messiah. Messiah is a term that, again, the Pharisees didn't like. Why? Because they believed that the Messiah was going to come one day, but they believed that he hasn't yet come. And so here Luke and the apostle says that this Jesus that you crucified, that you killed, and it became very, very personal. He says this man is Lord, he's sovereign, but he's also Messiah. That means he is Savior. He is the one who will redeem Israel one day. And of course the Pharisees didn't like that because they didn't believe that Jesus was Messiah. And that was their message all the way through the first part of Acts. Why the first part of Acts? Because the first part of Acts, they were speaking to the Jewish people. Then the second part of Acts, to the point um, when Cornelius, um, when Peter got that vision about Cornelius, from there on out, the gospel started to move towards the Gentiles. And you see that the message changes slightly because they were speaking to a different group of people and they started to speak about the idols that were in the lives of people. The Gentiles had many, many idols. You and I have many idols within our lives. And as the message went forth, they were targeting the idols because whenever we have an idol within our lives, then Jesus is second to that idol. And so the message changed a little bit. But here, it was all about the Lordship of Jesus and all about the Messiah, Jesus coming back to redeem Israel. This message that you and I can be trusted. Now, if we look at the Bible, when we talk about truth, when we talk about the gospel, what is so helpful for you and I is to take this gospel, this faith that is worth living for, and to bring it across to people within the culture that they live. And one of the things I love about living in Switzerland is that we can take the gospel. When we come across 
Swiss people, God gives us a strategy on how to take this gospel to them. And when we came here as an eldership team, we said that one of the ways in which we want to preach the gospel here in Switzerland is through the goodness and the kindness of Jesus. Can you remember that? That was a major theme of it. And I have found in Switzerland, not only with the Swiss people, but also some international people, when we show kindness to people here, when we are good to people here, through the gospel, it's amazing over a period of time how their hearts opened up and eventually one day we can talk to them about Jesus being both Lord and Savior. It's amazing how this happens. People open up their hearts to you when you're kind to them, when you're good to them. People cannot resist kindness. It's an amazing virtue. And Jen and I have seen together with a number of you that when we do it that way, that the hearts of people open up. They love joyfulness. Kindness is always related to joyfulness. They love joyful people. And Lyft, we've got such an incredible opportunity with this faith that we trust to live it out in such a way that the hearts of people open up. I've got a wonderful story. We've lived within our apartment block for eight and a half years. That's our home since we've been in Switzerland. And we've come to know a number of people. And Ryan and I, we were riding into the apartment block um, yesterday, and I just said to him, Ryan, just watch. As I drove in, someone just started waving at me. And I said, when we first came here, people didn't wave at us. But we started waving first. So I just wave at everyone and anyone when I drive in and out. And, and, and I love it. And sometimes I think the ladies are thinking, well, is this man after me? <laughs> but I just wave at everybody. And I smile at them. And now, before I can lift my hand, they're lifting their hands and they're waving at me and they're smiling at me. And I just love it. We've broken something, just something of the kindness and the goodness of Jesus. And there's a guy who works at a Volkswagen garage and he saw me the other day that I've got a new car and he saw that uh, it was a VW. And he said to me, where do you take your car for your service? And I said, no, here in, uh, in, in Ham. He says, well, my one is closer to Lucerne. He says, well, when it's ready for a service, I will take your car in the morning for the service. You don't have to bring it. And then later in the day, I will return it back to you. And I say, thank you. Now, this man can't speak English. We're just speaking German in my broken way. But, but he says, no, I will do it for you. I said, okay, cool. And so when I saw him two weeks ago, I said, no, we're going to Barcelona. And this man said to me, um, shall we check your mileage so that we can make sure that I can take your car in front? I said, sure. So he came in, clicked it. He saw, oh, he says, you've got enough mileage to go to Barcelona without it having service. But he says, I'll tell you what. He says, here over the next week, I will service your car just here. I've got all of this stuff. Make sure that you've got enough oil, all of these things. And I said, cool. And so last night at half past nine, I had forgot something in my car, and I went to get it, and he saw me. He says, hey, Piet, when are you going to Barcelona? I told him, I said, and you, I hear your wife says, you're going on holiday. He says, yes. He says, I'm leaving on Monday. I said, oh, he says, we haven't looked at your car. I said, oh, no. He says, how about Sunday? I said, no, you know, I'm, I work on Sunday. 
And he says, oh, yes, that's right. I forgot. He says, let's do it now. So last night at 10 o'clock, this man brought his whole thing out that he had a push. And I said to Ryan, do you want to come down? He says, no, you stay. You, you can go, Dad. And so I was downstairs there. And for the next half an hour, this Swiss man and I he pulled the car out and he Check the tires, the brakes, the fluid, the oil. He says, no, no, just some brake fluid and some oil. That's fine. And he checked my, he says, no, your tires are way too hard. And he put it at the right temperature. My friends, this is not us. This is this faith that I trust. Because it's a faith that originates from God. I want to encourage us as a church to reach out to people through the goodness and the kindness of Jesus. Eventually, it will reap the fruit. And just lastly, and we're going to close with this in just a few minutes. I did tell the kids' church teachers a while ago that we're going to try and aim at closing at about quarter past 11 in the holidays and with the heat. And so let's look at just the last point here. Remember, a faith worth living for is a faith that comes from God. Secondly, a faith worth living for is a faith that can be trusted, believed, understood, and explained. And then lastly, a faith worth living for is a faith that will go the distance. Or it is a faith that is robust. And let me take it to the furthest point. A faith worth living for is a faith worth dying for. I've taken it just in a few stages because the moment I would have said firstly, a faith worth living for is a faith worth dying for. You and I would say, well, that's what happened then. It is not for me. When you look at the stats today, you'll find that thousands of thousands of people are literally dying for their faith in Jesus. This new life that's come to us. We're incredibly privileged here in Switzerland. Now, other parts where you and I come from, for the most part, where we are not persecuted to that extent for our faith yet. But a faith worth living for is a faith worth dying for. Listen to what the scripture says in Acts chapter 5, verses 41 and 42. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing, and listen to this, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name in capital letters, the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is there. <laughs> How's that? You know, just throwing the cat amongst the pigeons with this religious group. What I love about them here is that even though we need to interpret our culture well, it's never at the expense of truth. 
never at the expense of truth. My friend, it is that truth that comes from God that saves. If you're wanting to water down that truth, it will never save. It is that Jesus is the Messiah. I've had times, and Jen and I, and you have too, where we could just really tell people about this Jesus. And morally, I've got to tell your story fits in so well I don't you know you tell it so much better than me when you went and saw the doctor and when he checked your heart could you tell the story quickly for them you know about you know the one you know I, I mean I can tell it but it's your story would you mind it's a short one and <laughs> uh, no, they had to do a heart scan to see whether my heart would be strong enough to do the um, chemo that I was going to have for every two weeks so Abe was with me in the room and when uh, the doctor checked my heart <laughs> I said to Abe I was like um so can you see Jesus <laughs> can I see Jesus in my heart and I was just thinking um I mean imagine to scan do a, a echocardiogram and the doctor obviously he couldn't see Jesus in my heart but I mean at least it is there so it's a <laughs> yeah so the doctor was just I said to Abe I mean it's amazing to think in those moments you can testify to that Jesus is in our hearts. So um, is that the story, Be It's very short. <laughs> you know, and that's the most wonderful thing. Marily is using her very difficult circumstances that she's going through now. And at every point, she testifies about Jesus. She testifies about Jesus. And my friends, a, worth, a faith worth living for is a faith worth dying for. It's a faith worth suffering for. It's a faith worth suffering shame for. I want to ask us today that as we look at, looked at this wonderful passage of Scripture, I want to ask you just, just how special is your faith to you? Is it worth dying for? You'd say, but Piet, I'm not called to die for my faith yet. No, you're not. You may not. But it starts just at that point where we show the goodness and the kindness of Jesus. To the people we work with, to the people at school when we meet our children there, the people we play sport with, it is to show the goodness and the kindness of Jesus to them. For these disciples, for these apostles, or for these people, A faith worth living for was a faith worth dying for. And eventually, these men in particular had to die for their faith, a martyr death. We know that Peter was crucified upside down for the sake of this faith that he believed in. And we know that John, history reports that hot oil was poured over them 
and he died a martyr. And so there are so many of the disciples who died a martyr's death. For them, their faith was worth living for. A faith worth living for, for them, was a faith worth dying for. Not for the sake of martyrdom or stardom, but for the sake of his glory and for his praise. And lift, let's speak about him to others for the sake of his glory and for his praise.